Well, the World University Rankings were released this week by Times Higher Education. This is a bit of a big deal. Uh, in my household, it's mainly so that my wife can prove, show me once again that she went to a higher ranked school than I did, or graduated from a higher ranked university than I did. Um, but beyond that, this started off as something that was really for policymakers, so they could find out how their schools were doing, how they could make them better. Now it's become something that lots of people pay attention to. So the new ones are out this week for 2023. Uh, there are some very familiar names in the top ranks, such as Harvard, Cambridge, Oxford is number one, Stanford, MIT. Um, on the Canadian side, the University of Toronto is the top-ranked Canadian school at 18th. UBC is 40th. Uh, McGill, where I went to school, is 46th, dropping a little bit there. Um, but for a long time now, you know, North America, Europe, pretty much reigned supreme in that top 100. That's changing. Now, the way they do this is they rank 1,799 universities judged on five things, uh, teaching, research citations, international outlook, industry outcome, and so forth. Uh, but what we're really seeing is this sort of shift in the geopolitics of knowledge, and that shift is speeding up. The U.S.'s share of the world's top 100 is declining. East Asian nations led by China and universities in the Middle East are on the rise. And not only does that make a difference when it comes to a country's ability to develop its own talent, but also in its ability to attract the best and brightest from around the world. Uh, with more on that, joining me now is Phil Beatty. He's Chief Knowledge Officer with Times Higher Education, who put together the rankings. Thanks for your time. It's a pleasure. Thank you. So just for our listeners uh, to be aware, how do the rankings work? How do you determine uh, who ends up where? So it's a huge amount of, of effort, actually. We have 13 separate performance indicators, and we're looking at universities in the round. So we're looking at the teaching environment. We're looking at their international relations, their collaborations, their talent attraction uh, globally. We're looking at how they interact with, with industry in terms of um, research funding. But the biggest part of the ranking is research excellence. We're actually um, analyzing uh, 15 and a half million research outputs from universities worldwide and, and 121 million citations to those research papers. So it's about how influential the research is. Is it pushing the boundaries of knowledge? Is it being disseminated and changing our understanding of of the world. So it's a very, very comprehensive exercise. Also, sorry, I should say a survey of 40,000 scholars worldwide as well about reputation, you know, who they believe, peer-to-peer, expert-to-expert, which which schools they believe are doing uh, great work. So comprehensive. I mean, the top 10, the top five in particular are always familiar, Oxford, Harvard, Cambridge, Stanford, MIT, but you're seeing some shifts as well. I, I noticed that the, the rankings have become more global. We're seeing uh, new universities popping up from different parts of the world. It feels like a much more uh, global list than it had been perhaps uh, in, the, in, the, in the distant past. Absolutely, yeah. So we've been doing this for almost 20 years, uh, since 2004. And, you know, it's absolutely true. The U.S. Uh, in particular, North America in general, and Western Europe are still very dominant Um but over time, you've seen a real shift of the balance of power. And, and I'm not suggesting that the U.S. is still is, is somehow no longer dominant. It absolutely is. It has seven of the world top 10. It has a, a large proportion of the upper echelons of the universities. But we have seen this shift. And it's, it's, it's primarily, I think, East Asian nations uh, rising. So particularly China, um, its, its universities have had about three decades of investment, of focus, of attention. And they're really rising up the rankings, pushing into the top 100 zone. Actually, America has lost um, several universities from the top 100 over the, over recent years. And, and, the, and China, mainland China, has gained. It's gone from about two a few years ago to seven 
this year. If you include Hong Kong, there's another five in there. Um, and then the Middle East, uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, the United Arab Emirates, um, also to some extent uh, Egypt, they're really starting to make rapid gains from a smaller base, but some significant gains. So I call it a bit of a global leveling up. The, the knowledge economy, knowledge production, excellence in higher education is starting to feel a bit more evenly distributed. And, and I hope it's it's actually positive news for the world in terms of the diversity of ideas and, and you know, the way we tackle our shared our shared global problems through research excellence, you know, climate action, uh, future pandemics. Hopefully we'll get a, a more inclusive approach to all of that. One of the things I found really interesting, and, and you pointed this out, was the challenge of the pandemic, um, you know, the, the hardening of borders a little bit. And one of the interesting things about China is, yeah, they're up from two uh, a while back now to seven in the top 100, uh, including a few in the top 20, which is new. But you also saw that that in some senses, Chinese universities were closing themselves off a little bit and that geopolitics was getting in the way somewhat of uh, of, of some of the more positive things that we've seen from China in these rankings. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, international collaboration is at the heart of, um, you know, the research endeavor. We we do have all these shared problems as we, we have to tackle as a global society and universities have been brilliant at crossing borders and, and bridging divides. But I, I do think there's starting to be a real cool off period. So China has been rising rapidly in the rankings, but one indicator where it has started to slip is our international outlook metrics. That is, bringing in foreign academics, bringing in foreign students, but also collaborating across borders on research papers. Um, and obviously there's a whole range of you know issues around um, security, mistrust. And I do think it's it's got the risk of having a real thawing effect and um, polarizing the world to some extent. So it's not dramatic just yet, but we are seeing it cooling off. And I do think the world may suffer from this because we end up keeping more secrets, we end up sharing less. And if you think about the, the pandemic, the, the most amazing response to the pandemic was universities and scientists over the world started sharing things very quickly, sharing their data, sharing their their their, their background uh, research. And it helped us develop collectively a rapid, um, successful vaccines. So there is a worry there that we might lose that global um, gain of, of knowledge accumulation and fall back into more more polarized worlds where um, we we lose out as a society because um, as they always say you know if you sh if you give somebody your money you're you're down on your money but if you give someone your ideas and knowledge you haven't lost anything yourself but but the cumulative gain is there for everyone. One of the uh, before we I wanted to talk specifically about Canada coming up but one of the things I found interesting was in the overall rankings of excellence uh, North America slipped to second this year be behind our. Uh, behind the South, behind uh, Australia and New Zealand. Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit um, just because we've, we've, we've gone for country averages and obviously the US is so dominant. There's a higher number of US universities in there. The, the Australian system is much more focused, but per capita, Australia is an unbelievable success story. You know, they've got a, a much smaller number of universities in there, but a very significant number at the very top of ranking. So they've got a concentration of excellence of quite a, a strong sector as a whole, whereas the US sector tends to be much more divided. There's the ultra elite, the super rich, the Harvards and the Stanfords, and you know to some extent the MITs, and then the great publics like Berkeley and uh, UCLA. But actually there's a bit more of a longer tail of, of less successful universities. They've been constrained with defunding, lack of uh, state support in terms of people valuing the great things universities do. So I think that's what we're seeing now that Australia as a system, as a nation, is super strong, 
the US more divided, more polarized with with that 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 decline that we're seeing um, creeping in. Yeah, I've always been interested in how the rankings reflect how individual nations invest in education. Clearly, China's rise has a lot to do with just how much both public and uh, corporate investment there has been in R&D in that country. Uh, Australia, I believe, embarked on something quite similar not that long ago, uh, which is really up to their game, so to speak. Uh, and in America, R&D investment is down. So you're sort of seeing the, the fruits of that, or at least the, the impacts of that. Yeah, and certainly what, you know, you've looked at economies like China, and they've they've had to pivot into being, a you know, moving from manufacturing into knowledge and skills and technology. And you, you can see, you know, they've got a good rival to Silicon Valley, they've got the uh, the Greater Bay Area, Shenzhen, and next door to Hong Kong, you know, they've really pivoted to say we need a knowledge driven economy, a skills and ideas and inventions driven economy. You've seen that place like South Korea. And it's been really successful, and uh, you know it does send a message that um, you know modern economies need highly skilled, highly educated, and very innovative um, research-driven uh, innovations. And uh, you you neglect that at your peril. It's a it's a real concern. How overall did Canadian universities do this year compared to years past? I think it's been a really stable year for uh, Canada. Um, there's been some very modest downward movement at the top. So UBC. Has slipped three places. McGill's down two places. McMaster's down five. That is, you know, slightly concerning. Um, a, a modest fall. Nothing to be too concerned about. Overall, I think Canada stays strong. Its its metrics over time are, are still really positive. But I think it's just a reflection of the fact that those very high ones of rankings, those those elite places, are getting much more competitive. As as you say, you know, with the likes of mainland China, Hong Kong, uh, East Asian nations making gains there. But overall, actually holding on pretty well, and no cause for alarm, but certainly cause for reflection and. Uh, thinking around strategy. Yeah, no time to rest on one's laurels, I guess, is the message of this year's rankings. Yeah, absolutely. And and there is a, a sense with these rankings that, that they're a fantastic benchmark for, for the global knowledge economy. Um, but you do, they are a zero-sum game. You know, you have to run fast to stand still. So it's not always, even if you decline, it doesn't necessarily mean universities are getting worse. It just means that uh, other institutions, other nations might be accelerating more rapidly. So you know, in an ideal world, a rising tide is lifting all the boats and it's good for everybody. Um, but in terms of the geopolitics of uh, the innovation and knowledge economies, it, it's some, something to be aware of. I remember when I was based in China, I knew of your rankings. I mean, they haven't been around for a very long time, but I knew of them. I'd read them. Uh, I went to McGill. So obviously you, you pay attention to where your school wound up. Uh, but when I lived in China, I, you know, the rankings took on a whole other dimension because these were poured over with a fine tooth comb by students looking to study abroad, especially the best and the brightest. They were very serious about where the school rankings wound up. I, I imagine in the highly competitive uh, race to attract the best and brightest from around the world, that these rankings have a real impact. Do you have an idea of just how much of an impact they have? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and interestingly, we we developed the rankings 20 years ago as a, as a university tool, you know, a tool for university managers, for academics, for governments to understand, you know, higher education policy, research policy. But once they were built back in 2004-05, students came flocking. In that 20-year in, in that period, the, the number of internationally mobile students has exploded. I think we're at about 5 million students now who are studying outside their home country. It's been on a, a steep upward curve. And what we saw is we, we were a, a publication for quite um, serious academics and academic leaders. And then students in their millions were coming to our website and having a look at the rankings. And I think, you know, the last count, 
directly into our website. It's about 20 million students looking to see where they might study. Um, so, and that's just on our site. There's obviously huge amounts of media coverage and other, other sites carry this. So they, they are very influential in helping determine uh, where students study. I guess if you're a student from an emerging economy, um, you know, from a, you know, the burgeoning wealth of emerging economies, the rising middle classes of, of, of emerging economies and the capacity challenges at home, it has meant students traditionally look to the US or, or, or Canada or to Western Europe. Um, but I think what's starting to happen now is that um, students have more choice because of this leveling up we talk about, because of the rise of East Asian universities, there's more uh, inter-Asia uh, student mobility. More students are thinking, well, we don't have to go to North America. We don't have to go west to, to Europe. We, we, we've got more choice at home, more capacity at home. So I think, you know, the, the, we're talking about um, American universities declining, but they could be of a vicious circle here as they also lose student talent and use those stu lose those students who perform extremely well and or maybe go on to postgraduate and research careers and drive the, uh, the US success stories. And so many of the Nobel Prizes in America, for example, have been, you know, immigrants who came through the higher education route. So there is a worry of, of a vicious circle. Yeah, it certainly is competitive. One of the things that was interesting about the rankings, too, is just the rise of, of, of African universities to see Nigerian universities on the list to see that growth as well, because uh, that would live outside of, of, of these sort of, you know, the, the former elite universities. But to see sort of rises in capacity and talent in those areas where you know uh, that there's a huge amount of, of intellectual uh, capacity and a huge amount of uh, promise, but that the universities are now catching up and offering the, the kind of uh, curriculum and education that uh, that will allow those countries to thrive. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a, you know, there's a massive, massive um, demographic challenge in Africa, you know, they've got, you know, multi-billion youth population. So there is a huge issue about building capacity and, and being able to provide for uh, the, the young people and give them the education skills. So a lot of African nations are, are, are absolutely realizing they need to invest in higher education. Um, and I think what's what's interesting is they've embraced rankings. I think for, for, for several years, there might have been a sense of saying, well, we don't need to worry about competing with Harvard and Stanford or Oxford and Cambridge. We've got our own challenges. But I think there's that growing maturity, that growing confidence to say, well, you know, how how we we're going to arrest brain drain how are we going to make sure we're, we're not just constantly on the sort of uh, the unequal end of partnerships and collaborations and we lose all of our talent if we don't build capacity there's still a massive problem of resource and inequality of wealth but it's great to see african nations uh, investing more in higher ed and embracing these sorts of global benchmarks the ranking system so that they, they can compare themselves to the best in the world or they can try as hard as they can to to compete with the best in the world and actually sometimes with these rankings they support collaboration as well because they give the visibility that universities want to to you know find and pick out strategic partners running to stand still it's an interesting way of putting the rankings but clearly uh, it applies well this year with so much movement and so many uh new countries watching their schools climb up the list uh, phil Beatty, thank you so much for your time it's a pleasure thank you